Hey, it's Nick Walters again with the National Industrial Hemp Growers Digest, brought to you by the National Hemp Growers Cooperative. And one of our mainstays since we have started uh, this podcast, now going on this our 21st episode in our second season, is we get a good monthly legal update from uh, uh, the guys from the cannabis uh, legal team at Bradley uh, Law Firm with locations all over the spot, but this one particularly coming again yet again from Alabama and Tennessee. So uh, Whit Steinecker and Hunter Robinson, always glad to have both of you uh, on with us as we're talking legal stuff. So hello once again. Hey, Nick. All right. So both of them. Well, one of the things that that I thought was interesting for us to talk about <clears throat> is really this proposed rule that the the Securities and Exchange Commission are offering up um, as it relates to what the carbon footprint is for companies, and because I because hemp fits into the ESG world so well on both the environmental and then from the co-ops perspective, we know that from the social and the governance side, because we are bottom up member owned, we're able to check off a bunch of ESG boxes. We're particularly interested to know how something like this proposed rule might impact those projects of things that we're working on that, that, that really go to our members benefit, but also, you know, just as far as being able to find investment. So with that as kind of a thought, um, tell us a little bit more about kind of what the SEC is. For those of us that live in the southeastern United States, we know that is unfortunately not the Southeastern Conference. But um, uh, what is it really? And, and uh, you know, not a whole history, but, but, but make it on a on a version for somebody like me to understand what it is and why it matters. Sure. Um, yeah. So for most of the Southeastern United States, the SEC we'll talk about today is the second most important organization <laughs> of that acronym. Uh, it stands for, in this context, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, the, you know, at a, at a very high level, the SEC is kind of the government or the federal government organization that oversees the purchase and sale of securities. Um, they are the primary regulator for many publicly traded companies, um, you know, companies that are listed on NASDAQ, Dow, um, those type of entities. Um, and they issue uh, rules and regulations that govern the sort of disclosures and the sort of, you know, kind of governance type policies that those entities have. And for, um, many of the kind of smaller and mid-sized hemp companies, they also issue rules and regulations that govern the offer and sale of what are called unregistered securities or securities with an exemption. Um, those would be um, the, the methods that you use to raise capital um, outside of, you know, listing on a stock exchange. So doing a private placement or negotiated transactions, you know, how you're kind of raising from family, friends, um, private equity groups, that sort of thing. And as Nick alluded to, the SEC has recently issued a proposed rule um, that is uh, ESG related concerning the sort of disclosures uh, regarding carbon footprints that um, publicly traded 
companies must meet if this rule comes to pass. And with that, I will turn it over to my colleague, Witt, uh, to go over what this proposed rule says. All right. Well, Hunter, let me ask, let me ask this before we, before we pivot to, to Witt to talk about this specific proposal. So just back up a minute. If I am XYZ Hemp Company, and let's just say it's us at the co-op, okay? And we have decided that we are going to start making uh, hemp uh, pellets for use in uh, uh, electric generation by using biomass as a part of the feedstock to, you know, feed boilers that turns turbines that make electricity. And I'm saying that because we are in the middle of doing that. All right. So let's just say that that's our, our project. And we've decided it's going to take, you know, $25 million to build a facility to be able to put it together. If I just go out on my own, we put together pro forma and we've got a copy of a, of an offtake agreement that we've negotiated. And that looks real good for people that are actually going to purchase our hemp energy pellets. And we've put all that, we've done all of that homework. Now we're ready to go find the money. And so uh, if I go put together all that information, how much we ought to, how much we ought to be making, what our profits ought to be, et cetera, et cetera. And I put that together in just some simple Excel spreadsheet. And I've got kind of a business plan about what I'm doing. Is something like that governed by the SEC? If I send it around to 20 people that I think might want to invest as compared to if I went down to a bank and said, hey, bank lender, would you loan me this money to be able to put this project together? I know that's right. possible, but I'm just trying to bring some some scenarios to the table to understand why the SEC matters and stuff like that. Sure. So the what the the scenario you laid out, the first one that doesn't involve going to the bank would be so you would be offering a security. Um, a security is is pretty broadly defined in the SEC stat or the statutes that um, kind of govern how the SEC operates and their rules and regulations. So they would impose um, the SEC would impose a bunch of disclosure requirements um, to your point about kind of the documents that you put together, the pro forma, the private placement memorandum, you know, kind of the documents that lay out projections, certain risks. Um, those are the kind of the content of those documents and, and what sort of documents you have to prepare are governed by SEC regulations. So the a, reason, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say in a bank loan, so a promissory note, and this is important, we've gone over this in a, in a previous webinar, a promissory note, which is the document that evidences a loan from a bank or an individual, is presumably a security under the securities laws. However, there's been kind of a bunch of different factor tests that have, have developed through the case law that has exceptions to that or ways to disprove that presumption. And one is sort of a prototypical bank loan. So um, to get a little nuance, and this could be a subject for an entire webinar, mm. that promissory you note know, you get from the bank will almost certainly not be considered a security. So a bank is not going to give you a private placement memorandum to give you a you know five million dollar business loan. Um, but you would have to put together a private placement memorandum. I'm sorry, you would have to put together a private placement memorandum to get that loan from the bank. Uh, you would most likely. Um, for if you were going to uh, offer your security or try to raise funds from private investors. Gotcha. So really what the, the Securities and Exchange Commission is trying to do is trying to 
be a buffer or kind of kind of protect me as a, an investor that I say, oh man, this that this project that the co-ops pulled together sounds terrific. I'm going to go raid my kid's college fund and go put it all on this project that you could say, well, you could do that if you wanted to, but we want at least want to make sure that that the folks who are offering this investment have told you anything and everything and what your risks are and you were fully aware before you ever jumped into this thing in the first place. And so the SEC is kind of doing some of all of that as it relates to something that we generally call a security. And right. so there's money going from pocket A to pocket B that if you're using it outside the bank loan or outside that you you know your grandma gave it to you from under her mattress or something like that. Other than that, that latter one could be a security. Oh, it could Just be. Right. Okay, let's get worse by the minute. Okay, right. So, so uh, right. I mean, so that's really what they're there for, and they're kind of setting up the rules and the regs and saying, no, you really can't just go out there willy nilly and do it. You may think that's okay, but you really can't because that stuff has to be governed by us. Right. That's kind of the even I mean, at the public company level and the kind of private company level, the main thing the SEC does is make sure you're disclosing all the information that people need to make a sound investment. So you're all those documents that you listed off are going to lay out, you know, hey, here's our basic idea. Um, You know, here's why we think it could work, but here's all the ways that it can. Um, And so it's making sure that investors have the information they need to, you know, make kind of uh, educated investments. Very good. And so with that in mind, one of the, oh, go ahead, Wade, I'm sorry. Yeah, just to, just to, to uh, add on to what you both said, um, there's a long list of reasons why uh, these rules have developed over time. Um, and, you know, companies that were deceptive, um, you know, years ago about some of their business practices and their risks. So it's definitely a consumer protection concept. Um, but that's also why you see some sliding scale on the amount of disclosure required when you're dealing with friends and family, a smaller investors that may be known to you already. Um, for people who have a certain uh, net worth or the presumption of level of sophistication uh, and investing versus uh, someone who maybe hasn't invested before. Um, just as there's a difference in the amount of disclosure you need to make if you're trying to get an investment from your best friend versus you're just going to the world at large and trying to raise money from anybody who will give money. So um, these rules have developed over time, but the general concept, though, is uh, to protect investors um, and to make sure – I think about disclosures as um, you basically have to tell people all the reasons why it's bad to invest in the company. Um, and then if they lose all their money uh, and they say, well, I didn't know this was going to happen, you can point to a you know a bullet point on page six of your document offering memorandum that says this is exactly what's going to happen. And that's exactly what did happen. So it's a little – daunting to do to, to to undertake the exercise of disclosing all of those risks um but uh, the government has made the decision that um you know that leads to um you know better uh investor protection it also probably leads to um you know companies more thoughtfully evaluating uh their material risk and where that's coming from got it and so it, then that's a great segue to say as well i think let's talk about this particular SEC rule 
as it relates to um, disclosing your carbon footprint. That may be yet another one of those things, for, certainly for public companies, but also for maybe privately held companies and others, that if the SEC is saying, hey, there are several things that you have to disclose and that you have to tell the world about whether they're investing in you or not investing in you. It just comes with the package. And when it comes with the package and things that you have to disclose, some of that now we're thinking about at the Securities and Exchange Commission, we're thinking about requiring what you're doing, what your carbon footprint is, is as part of your annual disclosure for you as a public entity in particular, as well as just along another line item, just as much as how many investors you had and how much money you lost and what you put your projects into and, you know, just your annual disclosure statement. So um, it, do I have that right? Isn't that kind of what this proposed rule is saying, that, it, that we were going to add this to the mix? That's right. Um, so, you know, when, whenever the government puts out a, uh, a proposed rule like this, particularly one of this sort of magnitude and policy change, um, it's extensive. Uh, you know, I think the version I looked at was about 100 pages long of expl explanations and text. Um, this came out um, in March of this year. And so it's a proposed rule, and it's for, if, if you're looking for it, it's a Formal name is the Enhancement and Standardization of Climate-Related Disclosures to Investors. And so this, this rule would require uh, domestic and foreign publicly traded companies that are on uh, United States exchanges, so we're talking public companies, uh, to include um, you know, climate-related information in the, in the types of statements that they typically file. So 10Ks, you know, their quarterly filings, their annual statements. Uh, and if you're, uh, you said it exactly right, you know, when they, they have to close, you know, the money they spent, the money they lost, the revenues, all those types of things. Um, they have to disclose litigation risks um, generally, you know, lawsuits they're involved in. And this is just another thing that if the rule goes into effect, um, they would have to uh, disclose. And so a few of the things they would have to disclose under the proposed rule are information regarding climate-related risks. And then the actual and material impact on the registrant's business strategy and outlook of such risks. And also there's things like the registrant's uh, internal governance and risk management processes for climate-related risks. Um, and then the, I think, you know, probably that we fit in here is uh, greenhouse gas emissions and certain climate-related financial um, and as part of the uh, financial statements. And so... Well, first of all, it's not clear that this would, this rule is going to take effect. Although, you know, historically, when there's a proposed rule, some version of it does become a rule. Um, there's things that could stop it. Um, you know, if they don't move fast enough, and there's a uh, some sort of political change uh, or change in the makeup of the commission, um, you know, that might be something where they all of a sudden would pull a rule back. Or if there's a change in the administration, which you know, for the next presidential election, would that won't happen. Um, but it's all that's to say the proposed rule it's not the law as of now um and even in the proposed rule uh next year 2024 even 2026 for uh, compliance dates um even if it took effect this year you know we're probably a year to three years away from these things actually taking effect but it's worth considering now 
um, for uh, the, the hemp industry and the opportunities that it might produce. And so this to be very clear conceptually, you know, what we were talking about in the first part today what were rules that you should follow if you're a hemp company that's looking to bring on uh, investors. And, you know, do you need, what do you need to disclose? You need to file some sort of certain, um, make certain uh, legal filings. Um, you need to take some sort of particular form. Um, what we're talking about with this proposed rule and its impact on the hemp companies are uh, slightly different. And it, it does relate to potential investment, but the regulations don't apply to the hemp companies themselves. They apply to the publicly traded companies that might, as a result of this rule, seek investment in hemp companies uh, to make the disclosures that are now going to be required to make um, look more attractive and appealing. And so the way I think of this is if you are, you are a publicly traded company, you know, you're thinking about, okay, let's say this rule goes into place. Um, what types, so now, now I know the types of things we need to disclose. And I, now I understand that, you know, we have to disclose our, um, uh, our carbon footprint and the rule specifically says that you have to consider things such as emissions resulting uh, from your products or upstream or downstream, upstream and downstream activities. Um, and so you're talking about your suppliers and your customers. Um, and all these things are, first of all, going to be extraordinarily difficult to find, to, 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 to determine, um, to, to put a value on. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we're going to see pushback on uh, during this comment period, which is companies are going to say, look, we know what you're trying to do here, and maybe it's noble, but how on earth are we supposed to determine our carbon footprint impact uh, based on the activities of things like suppliers and customers? That's information that we don't even have. Right. Um, and but, but as of right now, at least, um, that's, that's in the rule, proposed rule. And so I think one of the benefit is, you know, if you're a company that's looking to have a more attractive um, answer on this disclosure question about, you know, what your risks are um, from for climate changes and what your carbon footprint is and how much is tied up in, um, you know, things that are uh, tied to the environment, uh, having, you know, companies like hemp companies would make almost certainly regardless of what they did to your bottom line, they would make this disclosure uh, look more attractive than a company that wasn't involved in the hemp industry. Right. And so I think this is a place where you, you might find uh, eager, uh, you know, eager money looking to enter the market. And it might even, frankly, it might even be, you know, on, on terms that otherwise would be um, less favorable than you know a, a public company would would try to extract from a smaller hemp company or a startup hemp company. So um, you know, hopefully, it'll be a, a sort of open season, um, you know, for hemp companies to to get dollars that maybe otherwise were not going to be available to them. And then, obviously, I think well, maybe it's not obvious, but but I do think that the real hope, and this is sort of like any rule. Um, the way it starts out um, is what, what, what we ultimately want to get is these companies look to him companies because they have to or because they feel like they need to. 
And then as they start to actually get into the business and the industry, they realize that it's actually something that they want um, and something that is a good idea. And then that'll breed further investment. And then all the investment just translates further research, further ingenuity. Um, and, and, and that's what propels, you know, that's oxygen to the industry at this point. And so, you know, hopefully this is an area where, um, you know, that'll, that'll lead to, you know, pretty significant gains for the industry. And then I think, Nick, I mean, I think one of the things that you think about um, with your membership is, well, how do you how do you take advantage of that? You know, how do you position yourself? How do you market yourself so that you're out there and be, um, you know, when these companies come come knocking, assuming uh, that this rule uh, takes effect? Right. So it, it 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 may very well be. And Hunter, this may be something you can speak to. What you're going out on in and out of a little bit. I know you're from in an undisclosed location right now, and so we appreciate you jumping in and, and chatting with us. But Hunter, just to make sure that I'm hearing <clears throat> part of what what Witt is saying there is, hey, look, there may be this thing that is the rule that comes from the SECs that says, thou shalt better be doing this companies, okay? That's got another whole kettle of fish about whether the rule even takes effect, whether they even do the doggone thing, how they might amend the proposed rule that's out there now. They're hearing a bunch of squawking and hollering from somebody else or whatever. That could all kind of take place however long it takes to take it place. But is there maybe an idea <clears throat> that if I am a company that is tending to its knitting, as my grandmother would say, and I am paying attention to what is going on, I can, it ain't hard for me to read these tea leaves to understand we better start having some answers for something like this, whether this rule actually comes on us or not. So let's get ahead of the curve, kind of in the same way that many corporations went out there and said, hey, we want to have somebody that's our ESG compliance officer, just so we can make sure that everybody knows that this is a thing. The marketplace is maybe driving this to get ahead of it instead of having it to be something that is a rule that you have to follow that I as a company find myself dragging and screaming into. That was kind of a question statement all at the same time. So, um, <laughs> that's I kind of take that a couple of pieces. So yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things. And I think, you know, whether this proposed rule goes and becomes a final rule in its current form with no changes, whether it gets, you know, some tweaks along the way, um, something like this is coming. Um, and in, to your point, even if it doesn't, I mean, there's a lot of public companies and private companies for that matter that are getting ahead of this because it's a good way to raise money. Cause this is something that more and more people are kind of caring about, um, from the kind of public company versus, you know, big, big corporation versus what it means for the hemp industry. You know, this is something that is going to be, um, that will be, if it's passed onerous for public companies to comply with. And, you know, you can see it being a a drain on their profits or, you know, a, a small one is something that increases expense. But I think from the downstream effects to these smaller hemp companies that don't have to comply with this rule, it, it can provide a lot of benefit to Witt's point with, you know, these, these public companies looking to make investments in hemp companies just to kind of get a better, get the, the hemp ESG pluses kind of into the big public companies, you know, ESG mix. Um, I think you could have it drive some demand for things like hemp concrete, hemp plastic. You know, maybe these companies are saying, hey, we're going to build our new headquarters in hempcrete. Um, that's not a direct investment in the hemp company, but it's going to pour a bunch of money into the industry as a whole. Sure. 
maybe they start saying, hey, supplier, if you start doing, uh, if you start packaging your stuff with pimp plastic, we'll give you a, you know, a little, we'll subsidize some of that kind of transition or give you a 5%, you know, whatever. There's a lot of ways you can do it, but there's a lot of, uh, you know, the, the carbon dioxide, you know, benefit of hemp is huge and hemp can be made into a lot of things that is less of an environmental impact than the way those things are currently made, like hempcrete and hemp plastics. Um, you know, so I think anything ESG at the public company level is going to have, generally speaking, have been that positive for kind of downstream effects on the hemp industry. Very, very cool. I think that gives us a great uh, um, opportunity. And that's why our VP for strategic um initiatives and development, uh, uh, Russell Laird is doing this every day because he is letting Fortune 500 company types understand hemp is a part of the answer for what you're trying to do for ESG and things like this SEC rule that we all understand and we know is coming, whether it's actually shows up or not, we've got an opportunity for you to at least kind of get ahead of the curve maybe before before it catches you up one way or the other. So that's really cool for us to think about that. Right. And it maybe it's something for, you know, the, the, the hemp companies listening on this call to kind of think about the, the hemp products you can make in, in ways that can be used to, for kind of the SG mix, you know, the hemp free, the hemp fibers, the, um, you know, just the opportunities for kind of carbon offset type deals. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of ways that this could be used. Um, and, you know, this ESG stuff is kind of a, a separate from the, you know, the supplement and the, the Delta eight and all of that kind of stuff. Um, start driving to where I know you, you guys at the co-op kind of see the industry heading as kind of more of the industrial uses. Um, I mean, no I think doubt. that's where a lot of the ESG stuff that's in. No doubt. I think that's, I think that's absolutely correct. So, um, well, man, thanks so much for this conversation and, and, and uh, thanks for giving us an idea and giving us a little bit of a clue about why the Securities and Exchange Commission might matter to somebody who's growing hemp anywhere in the U.S. It's a part of the, it's a part of the process that could be very positive for, from our perspective to understand that it might uh, have folks look out for us in a way where they might not be looking out one way or the other or, or looking for us anyway to, to, as, as part of their answer. So that's cool. Hey, um, look, before we go, tell us how the blog is coming. I mean, I know you guys have done the blog. Plug the blog, uh, Hunter. That's where you get to be able to tell everybody more about uh, the blog y'all are doing. Love an opportunity to log roll. Um, so yeah, so we have launched our uh, at Bradley, our law firm, a cannabis blog called Budding Trends. Um, you can subscribe to it if you go to the Bradley.com website and our cannabis landing page. You can find it there. Um, it is we are kind of musing on legal developments in the cannabis industry, um, kind of with a focus on hemp and uh you know medical marijuana kind of businesses rules regulations kind of industry trends um and it is free to read um so uh yeah come come subscribe come check it out i think we've uh we keep it fairly lighthearted um while right. giving kind of deep substantive content so i think it's you know trying to make something that is a little easier to read than maybe some some law firms blogs and We'll maybe hopefully get a laugh or two out of you as well along the way. Well, you have. You can count on a bunch of quotes from Witt Snyder in his article as well. <laughs> as a subscriber and as somebody who needs you to put the hay down on the barn floor where I can eat it, 
I can tell you that it is a lot better for uh, for folk like me uh, that would like to read it and check it out to be able to do that, too. So absolutely go back and check that out at Bradley.com and you can learn more about the practices of of, of their particular their cannabis group that Hunter and Whit are involved in and um, uh, learn more about their services and learn more about why. Uh, if you think you're about to go out and raise some money, um, uh, you might want to get you some legal counsel to go check that out to make sure you don't join the Martha Stewart Club of how good do I look in orange jumpsuits. So that would be uh, be a part of it. Hey, look, um, uh, within the next couple of weeks, uh, we will be having our national uh, Hemp Growers Co-op Field Day and mini conference taking place in Mount Bayou and Cleveland, Mississippi, up in the Mississippi Delta. We've got a, a full uh, a group of people coming to speak with us and to us, everybody from industry leaders and, and uh, we've got uh, regenerative ag uh, practice growers that are going to be there to show us actually how to plant and how to learn more about planting and 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 farming from regenerative ag practices, as well as industry leaders to come and talk about everything from U.S. Um, the U.S. Hemp Building Association, as well as uh, uh, the 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 chief from. Uh, Washington, D.C. that runs the USDA hemp program will will be a part of that hemp way foods, which is doing a great job with with um, hemp protein. A bunch of things that we're going to talk about about the hemp industry that will be there. Uh, so if you're interested, um, it's uh, really cheap. We think and only 25 bucks to be able to attend and, and to participate with that. You can always go back to our website at nationalhempcoop.us and look for uh, the big purple banner uh, uh, as an homage to our co-sponsor to that, um, Alcorn State University's um, extension program that we are doing this field day in conjunction with. So uh, go back and learn more about that uh, if you are interested. Quinn and Hunter, thank you again for yet another great episode to help us learn even more about the legal side of the hemp business. Thanks, Nick. Okay, until thank next you. time. Thanks. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.